When our mutual trance was a little over, and the young fellow had withdrawn that delicious stretcher, he had most plentifully drowned all thoughts of revenge in the sense of pleasure. Why should I here suppress the delight I received from this amiable creature? Oh, but say you, this was a young fellow of too low a rank in life to deserve so great a display. Maybe so. But the talent of giving pleasure was to me the greatest of all merits, compared to which the vulgar prejudices in favor of titles, dignities, honors, and the like held a very low rank indeed. Generally speaking, in love as in war, the longest weapon carries the field. About ten the next morning, according to expectation, Will, my new humble sweetheart, came with a message from his master, Mr. H., to know how I did. After exchanging a few confused questions and answers, I asked him if he would come to bed with me, for the little time I could venture to detain him. This was just asking a person dying with hunger to feast upon the dish on earth the most pleasing to his palate. Accordingly, without further reflection, his clothes were off in an instant. Blushing still more at his new liberty, he got under the bedclothes I held up to receive him and was now in bed with a woman for the first time in his life. Here began the usual tender preliminaries, as delicious perhaps as the crowning act of enjoyment itself, which they often beget an impatience of that makes pleasure destructive of itself by hurrying on the final period and closing that scene of bliss. When we had sufficiently graduated our advances towards the main point by toying, kissing, pinching, feeling my breasts now round and plump, feeling that part of me I might call a furnace mouth from the prodigious intense heat his fiery touches had rekindled there, my young sportsman, emboldened by every freedom he could wish, wantonly takes my hand and carries it to that enormous machine of his that stood with a stiffness, a hardness, an upward bent of erection, and which, together with its bottom dependence, the inestimable bulge of ladies' jewels, formed a grand show of goods indeed. I could not conceive how or by what means I could take or put such a bulk out of sight. I stroked it gently, on which the mutinous rogue seemed to swell and gather a new degree of fierceness and insolence. Slipping then a pillow under me that I might give him the fairest play, I guided with my hand this furious battering ram, whose ruby head resembling a heart I applied to its proper mark. The gleamy warmth that shot from it made him feel that he was at the mouth of an indraught, a suction so fierce that gave and took unutterable delight. The powerfully divided lips of that pleasure-thirsty vessel received him. He hesitated a little, then settled well in the passage, he made his way up the channel with a pleasurable difficulty, widening as he went so as to distend and smooth each soft furrow. Our pleasure increased deliciously in proportion as our points of mutual touch increased in that so vital part of me in which I had taken him, all in driven and completely sheathed. 
We had now reached the closest point of union, but when he beckoned to come on the fiercer, in the height of my fury, as if I had been actuated by a fear of losing him, I twisted my legs round his naked loins, the flesh of which, so firm, so springy to the touch, quivered under the pressure. And now I had him every way encircled and begirt, and having drawn him home to me, I kept him fast there, as if I had sought to unite bodies with him at that point. This bred a pause of action, a pleasure stop. But nature could not long endure a pleasure that so highly provoked without satisfying it. Pursuing then its darling end, the battery recommenced with redoubled exertion. And soon, too soon indeed, the high-wrought agitation, the sweet urgency of this to-and-fro friction raised the passion in me to its height, so that finding myself on the point of going and loath to leave the tender partner of my joys behind me, I employed all the hastening motions and art to me to promote his keeping me company to our journey's end. I not only then tightened the pleasure girth round my restless inmate by a secret spring of friction and compression that obeys the will in those parts, stole my hand softly to that store bag of nature's prime sweets, which is so pleasingly attached to its conduit pipe from which we receive them, there feeling and most gently indeed squeezing those tender globular reservoirs. The magic touch took instant effect, quickened and brought on the symptoms of that sweet agony, the melting moment of dissolution when pleasure dies by pleasure exquisite consent as I melted away. It flung us into an ecstasy that extended us fainting, breathless, entranced. Thus we lay, whilst a voluptuous languor possessed us and maintained us motionless and fast locked in one another's arms. Alas, that these delights should be no longer lie. My happiness, however, with him did not last long. About a month after our first intercourse, one fatal morning Mr. H. stole in upon us and saw us precisely in the most convicting attitudes. I gave a great scream and dropped my petticoat. The thunderstruck lad leaped up and stood trembling and pale, waiting his sentence of death. Mr. H. looked sometimes at one, sometimes at the other, with a mixture of indignation and scorn and without saying a word, turned upon his heel and went out. I was now once more adrift and left upon my own hands by a gentleman whom I certainly did not deserve. As for poor Will, he was immediately sent back to the country, where an innkeeper's buxom young widow, perhaps pre-acquainted with his secret excellencies, married him. I'm sure there was at least one good foundation for their living happily together. As I was considering where to shift my quarters, Mrs. Cole, a middle-aged, discreet sort of woman, came to offer her cordial advice and service to me. Keeping a house of conveniency, she was consummately at the top of her profession and dealt only with customers of distinction. I threw myself blindly into her hands, and she took me into her house. I thus passed from a private devotee of pleasure to a public one. 
In the outer parlor, or rather shop, sat three young women, very demurely employed on millinery work, which was a cover for the sale of more precious commodities. But three more beautiful creatures could hardly be seen. These charming girls gave me all the marks of a welcome reception. They gathered round me, and my admission into this joyous troop made a little holiday. After a great deal of mixed chat, frolic, and humor, one of the girls proposed that each should entertain the company with that critical period of her personal history in which she first exchanged the maiden state for womanhood. The promotress of this amusement was Emily, a girl fair to excess. Her limbs were, if possible, too well made. Her eyes were blue and streamed inexpressible sweetness and nothing could be prettier than her mouth and lips, which closed over a range of the evenest and whitest teeth. Thus she began. My father and mother were, and for aught I know still are, farmers in the country. At the age of 15, I had broken a china bowl, the pride and joy of both their hearts, and as an unmerciful beating was the least I expected at their hands, in the silliness of those tender years, I left the house and took the road to London. I was proceeding onward when I was overtaken by a sturdy country lad who was likewise going to London. I saw him come whistling behind me with a bundle tied to the end of a stick. We walked by one another for some time without speaking. At length we joined company and agreed to keep together till we got to our journey's end. As night drew on, it became us to look for some inn or shelter. After some puzzle, the young fellow stated a proposal, which I thought the finest that could be. And what was that? Why, that we should pass for man and wife. I never once dreamed of consequences. We came presently, after having agreed on this notable expedient, to an inn. Glad of any cover, we went in. When uh, bedtime came on, we had neither of us the courage to contradict our first account of ourselves. Before either of us undressed, he put out the candle. And bitterness of the weather made it a kind of necessity for me to go into bed. Slipping my clothes off, I crept under the bed covers, where I found the young stripling already nestled, and the touch of his warm flesh rather pleased than alarmed me. Oh, how powerful are the instincts of nature. How little is there wanting to set them in action. The young man, sliding his arm under my body, drew me gently towards him, as if to keep himself and me warmer. And the heat I felt from joining our breasts kindled another that I had heretofore never felt. Emboldened, I suppose, by my uneasiness, he ventured to kiss me, and I insensibly returned it. On this encouragement, 
He slipped his hand all down from my breast to that part of me where the sense of feeling is so exquisitely critical. Then he took my hand, which he guided not unwillingly on my side, till he made me feel the proud distinction of his sex from mine. I was frightened at the novelty and drew back my hand. Yet, pressed and spurred on by sensations of a strange pleasure, I could not help asking him what that was for. He told me he would show me if I would let him. And without waiting for my answer, which he prevented by stopping my mouth with kisses I was far from disrelishing, fixed me to his purpose, whilst between fear and desire, I lay utterly passive, till the pain roused and made me cry out. But it was too late. He was too firm, fixed in the saddle for me to fling him, with all the struggles I could use, some of which only served to further his point, and at length, an irresistible thrust murdered at once my maiden head and almost me. But the pleasure rising as the pain subsided, I was soon reconciled to fresh trials, and before morning, nothing on earth could be dearer to me than this rifler of my virgin sweets. He was everything to me now. In the order of our sitting, it was Harriet's turn to go on. Amongst all the beauties of our sex that I had before or have since seen, few indeed were the forms that could dispute excellence with hers. Hers was delicacy incarnate. Such was the symmetry of her small but exactly fashioned limbs. Her complexion, fair as it was, appeared yet more fair from the effect of two dark eyes, the brilliancy of which gave her face more vivacity than belonged to the colour of it, which was only defended from paleness by a sweetly pleasing blush in her cheeks that grew fainter and fainter till at length it died away insensibly into the overbearing white. Pressed to tell her tale, she smiled, blushed a little, and thus complied with our desires. My father and my mother died whilst I was an infant, and I fell under the care of a widow and childless aunt, housekeeper to my Lord N. at his seat in the country. Here, in tranquility and innocence, I grew up without any memorable accident, till one fatal day I went to an ancient summer house at some distance from the castle by the bank of a river. Here I fell into a gentle breathing slumber. I was soon awaked and alarmed by a noise of splashing in the water. I got up to see what was the matter and what indeed should it be but the son of a neighboring gentleman who had strayed that way with his gun and heated by his sport and the sultriness of the day had been tempted by the freshness of the clear stream so that presently stripping he jumped into it. My first emotions at the sight of this youth, naked in the water, were those of surprise and fear, and I should immediately have run out had, had not the door and window been so situated that it was scarce possible to get out without his seeing me. 
But by my own experience, I found it too true that objects which affright us when we cannot get from them draw our eyes as forcibly as those that please us. I ventured by degrees to cast my eyes on an object so terrible and alarming to my virgin modesty as a naked man. I was still gazing with all the powers of my sight on this bewitching object, when in an instant down he went. My concern gave me wings, and I flew to the door, opened it, and ran down to the water, guided thither by the madness of my fears for him and an intense desire to save him, though I was ignorant how or by what means to effect it. I had then just life enough to reach the green border of the water where, wildly looking round for the young man, and missing him still, my fright and concern sunk me down in a deep swoon, which must have lasted me some time, for I did not come to myself till I was roused out of it by a sense of pain it awaked me to the most surprising circumstance of finding myself not only in the arms of this very same young gentleman I had been so solicitous to save, but taken at such an advantage in my unresisting condition that he had actually completed his entrance into me. I still lay all decomposed, palpitating, speechless, frightened, and fluttering like a poor wounded partridge and ready to faint away again if the sense of what had befallen me. The young gentleman was by me, kneeling, kissing my hand, and with tears in his eyes beseeching me to forgive him. Oh, but how quick is the shift of passions from one extreme to another, and how little are they acquainted with the human heart who dispute it. My anger ebbed on fast, and the tide of love returned so strong upon me that I felt it a point of my own happiness to forgive him. Louisa, the brunette who was the last of the girls to tell her story now took her turn to treat the company with her history. According to practical maxims of life, I ought to boast of my birth since I owe it to pure love without marriage. As I grew up under the eyes of my mother, I could not but see in her severe watchfulness that she did not desire her slip to become hereditary. However, we no more choose our passions than our features or complexion, and my desire for the forbidden pleasure was so strong that it got the better at length of all her care and precaution. One warm day, I unlaced my stays and threw myself on my bed in all the loosest undress. Waking up out of a very short slumber, I found my hand locked in that of a young man who was kneeling at my bedside and begging my pardon for his boldness, saying he was the son of our gentlewoman lodger. What shall I say? My emotions of fear and surprise were instantly subdued by those of pleasure. I raised then my head and told him that his mamma was gone out and would not return till late at night, which I thought no bad hint. But as it proved, I had nothing of a novice to deal with. The extreme tenderness which I threw into my voice and eyes served to encourage him to make the most of the opportunity. Finding then that his kisses imprinted on my hand were taken as tamely as he could wish, 
he rose to my lips, and gluing his to them, made me so faint with overcoming joy and pleasure, that I fell back, and he with me on the bed, upon which I had, by insensibly shifting from the side to near the middle, invitingly made room for him. He is now lain down by me. My youth proceeds immediately to those extremities which all my looks, flushing and palpitations had assured him he might attempt without the fear of repulse. Those rogues, the men, read us admirably on these occasions. I lay then at length panting for the imminent attack with desire stronger than fear. He threw up my petticoat and shift, whilst my thighs were, by an instinct of nature, unfolded to their best. Now his waistcoat was unbuttoned, and the confinement of his breeches burst open, when out started to view the amazing, pleasing object of all my wishes, all my dreams, all my love, the king member indeed. I gazed at it at length and breadth, with my eyes intently directed to it. He then placed it between my thighs and took from me the enjoyment of its sight and gave a far more pleasing one by its touch in that part where touch is so exquisitely affecting. Applying it then to the minute opening, for such it certainly was, I met it with much good will. That part of me which had so long hungered for the dear morsel that now so delightfully crammed it glowed with delight during the stay of my beloved guest. He soon paid me for his hearty welcome in a dissolvent ravishingly poured into me, where now I myself, too much melted now to give it a dry reception, hailed it with the warmest confluence on my side. Thus I arrived at the very top of all my desires. And thus the storytelling ended. Yeah.